Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. Um, we're going to be getting into a, a new sermon series today uh, on Romans 8. We've titled it Romans 8. I know. Yes, that's, that's really, it's like just genius titling, you know, we came up with something new. Um, but I want to, I, I want to say, I think it's awesome getting older and becoming more mature so that you get to the point where you no longer worry so much about what people think of you. Uh, there is something in all of us that, that even when we get older, we, we tend to think, man, I, I know so-and-so is thinking this about me. I'm just sure of it. And we're always worried about all these things that people are thinking about us. The problem is, is what we don't understand is nobody's thinking about that stuff because they're worried about what you're thinking of them. It's just this cycle that goes on with this. And it, I've had all throughout my life different cycles of this. When I was five years old, um, I used to have longer hair than I do now. I actually had a mullet. It was awesome. And it was such a great mullet. And it, would, it had a little bit of natural curl in the back. But my sister, my older sister, she would actually curl it on Sunday mornings for church because that was, that was classy, you know. Um, so she curled it back on my mullet, and, and she burned my neck one time. That felt great. Um, don't know why I let her do that, but I did. Here's the thing. When I had all this hair, I, was, I have a colic right here, and I have a colic right here. And there was always this part of me that's like, I know everybody's staring at my dumb colic. That was me at five years old, okay? Me at like seven or eight years old, I was worried about how people thought I dressed. So I made sure that I knew how to do the best tight roll on my jeans, because in the 80s, that was cool. If you don't know what a tight roll is, just you know, go on YouTube it or something like that. Google it. I don't know. Um, when I was 13, you know, like every 13 or so year old, 11 year old, whatever it is, I got my first zit. And I knew, man, everybody's looking at me. It's like everybody's experienced that. If you never got any zits when you were a kid, I, I don't like you. Um, everybody should have to experience that, okay? Uh, then 16 came along. And now I started to worry that everybody just didn't like me because I had, sometimes I had, you know, a teenager attitude. 25 comes along and I start uh, preaching in front of people that are older than me. And I'm, I'm thinking, man, every insecurity would come out like, there's no way that they're not seeing all the stuff in me that, that I don't like. And now I've got, uh, you know, I'm 40 years old and I got four kids at home and we've got this house on this cool spot in a really busy intersection. And all I can think about in the summer is my, my my grass has to look perfect so the people around me think that I've got it together. Because uh, that's what it's about. And so we've, we're constantly thinking all this stuff about what are other people thinking about me? What are other people... And a lot of what happens is we feel a sense of condemnation from people around us. We're always dealing, battling with this thing in us where we don't feel like we're everything that we should be. Um... What is it that's so great about not hanging on to the things that we're worried about, about what people are thinking about us? It's freedom. It's, it's a lack of insecurity. And, and so uh, to get these insecurities out of our lives and, and to be able to live a free life, we have to come to this point where condemnation is no longer a thing that we are dealing with, an issue that we're dealing with. But here's the, the, the hard, cold truth. Many people live burdened lives because they feel forever condemned by a God who looks down on everything they say and do with scorn and accusation. 
if you grew up in the church, how much of your church upbringing was actually sounded a lot like that? This constant thing that, man, God, God's got it out for me. I remember my mom always used to talk about, as a kid, she couldn't go to movie theaters. And her, her mom would be like, if, if Jesus comes back when that movie theater, you're there, wouldn't want to be you. And that's not, that's not the way that we should be looking at God. We shouldn't be in this constant state of feeling like we're condemned. And what happens is it, it leads to two different kinds of awful habits that we can have in our lives. One of those habits is legalism. And that habit is, man, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that God loves me exactly like, like I want him to love me. And so I'm going to do everything perfectly. That's legalism. legalism. And, and guess what? It doesn't work out so well. We still mess up. But then there's the other flip side of it. It's like the opposite. And it's the, well, if I can't do anything right to please God, I ain't going to do anything right. And a lot of teenagers go through like a year or two or 12 of that. Um, and some of us have all experienced it. Like, if, well, if I, can't, if I can't be perfect, then I'll just, I won't even worry about it. And so, like I said, we're starting this new series in Romans chapter 8. And let me be honest with you, this, this chapter, it is like, it is a trudge through it. This is one of the, the most uh, just rich theological writings that Paul does throughout all of his writings in the New Testament. And it's, it's interesting because we'll be, we'll, be, we'll be talking about it in our teaching team meeting. And, uh, you know, David Clark, our lead pastor, guy knows the Bible probably more than any human that I know. And it's kind of fun watching him as we're talking through Romans 8. And he's like, man, I don't know. You guys know? Because, like, there is just some tough stuff in this. And so here's the deal. We're going through Romans 8. And you might, you might walk away with more questions from Romans 8 than what you actually get. But that's okay. I believe every single, every single Sunday you come here, we're going we're gonna to dig into something that is going to make a difference. And it's going to matter. It's going to make you think. And it, it's going to challenge your faith. And so today, um, we're taking a look at the first four verses of Romans chapter 8. Uh, and I'm going to read it here. Um, I'm just going to ask God to just kind of do something in our brains while we're, while we're reading this. Lord, uh, as, we, as we look into scripture right now, God, help us to hear what you want us to hear. Uh, speak to us each individually and, and corporately as a, as a body. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Romans 8, 1 through 4. It says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Now a couple weeks back I was... I was preaching out of a passage, and it started off with the word therefore. And I said at that time, okay, anytime we see the word therefore, we have to figure out what the therefore is there for. So we got to look just real quick, what, it, what was Romans 7 talking about that leads Paul to say, therefore? Romans 7 is kind of one of the more famous chapters probably that Paul wrote. And it's this chapter where he's talking about, I do things that I don't want to do. And then I don't do things that I want to do. I've got this thing in me like I want to do right. And, and, I, and I end up doing stuff that's completely opposite of it. And then I don't want to do wrong. But then I end up doing it. And it's just, it's kind of like what I feel like 
about 99% of days. And I think a lot of people, we, we read this chapter and we're like, yes, now that's something that I can get from the Bible. And at the very end of it, I love what Paul says. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So I do all this stuff that, man, I know, I know God doesn't want me to do it, and I don't want to do it, and I end up doing it, and then, then there's a bunch of stuff that I know I should do, and I don't. Thanks be to God, even though I'm wretched, he delivers me from that. And that's where we come into Romans chapter 8. Um, and right off the bat he says, therefore, okay, so God has delivered me from all this stuff that I, that I shouldn't be doing or that, I, that I'm not doing that I should be doing. He delivers me from it and therefore there is now no condemnation from sin because Jesus has delivered me from all this stuff. And in verse 4, Paul alludes to this idea that there is a righteous requirement of the law. And what he's talking about there is he's looking at the first covenant, what we talk about as being the Old Testament. And he's saying that in the Old Testament there is this righteous requirement of, of the law that we are supposed to live out. But ultimately, in verses 2 through 4, he's saying, yeah, we, we just can't do it. We can't live out that righteous requirement. We can't do it perfectly. But there is one who came that was able to do it, and his name is Jesus. In verse 3, he says, he was our sin offering. Something that we needed. And so righteous perfection is now met in Jesus. Again, because we can't do it ourselves. I'm going to be honest with you, verses 2 through 4, I just gave you kind of a quick synopsis of what he was saying in verses 2 through 4. Verses 2 through 4 are complicated to read through. And you read through it, and you can read through it about 12 different times, and you're like, am I following what Paul's saying here? I gave you the brief synopsis of it, because I actually want us to get to verse 1. Verse 1 is kind of what everything in Romans chapter 8 rests on. And he says, therefore there is now no condemnation. We are not condemned when we are in Christ Jesus. So I want to talk about what this word condemn means. Because there's a lot of different definitions that we can look at as to what condemned actually means. The first thing I want to talk about. Condemned means sentenced to a particular punishment, especially death. It's pretty cool when you look at this. If we are not condemned in Christ Jesus, that means that we are not condemned to death. We are not subject to a punishment of spiritual death because of the sin that we've committed. Uh, I'm not going to get God's wrath on me because of what Jesus did for me. I don't know about you, every time I hear that somebody vocalizes that, I'm like, that's awesome. That's super cool that we have that in Jesus. Maybe you've been in a relationship before where uh, everything that you did, that person would just kind of hold it over on you. Like, the wrath of them was always upon you. And you, so you felt like everything that you do, it's like walking on eggshells, right? That is not a fun feeling. That is not a feeling that we like to have in a relationship with people. But here's the problem. We're so used to that in human relationships that we actually believe that that's how God is with us. We live our lives like we have to be walking on eggshells. Like, I don't want to upset the big man in the sky. First of all, if that's how you think about a relationship with Jesus... That's not personal. We have a personal relationship with a God who loves us and died for us to take away the condemnation. We don't have to walk on eggshells with our God. 
In fact, he's super patient with us. He says, it says in 2 Peter 3.9, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Our God is full of infinite chances. If we are in Christ, like it talks about in verse 1, we have infinite chances with our God. We don't have to experience the wrath of God. Period. Plain and simple. Okay, so what else does condemned mean? Condemned means officially declared unfit for use. Anybody ever felt unfit for use in something before? Uh, it is. It's not a fun feeling, right? Uh, think about a, a house that has a condemned sign on it. Why does a house get a condemned sign on it? Probably because somebody went in there and inspected it and nobody should live there, right? It's unfit to live in. And that's what this kind of condemned means. Unfit for use. Um, I, I can think of one thing in particular that I can tell you flat out I am unfit for use with. Uh, a couple, couple years back, a number of years back actually, I was at our Spencer Lake Bible Camp where we take kids to for summer Bible camp. And me and a bunch of youth pastors, we were trying to get all of the water equipment, like the, the water slide thingy and the water, things that you play in the water, in the lake, okay? Whatever they all are. And we're trying to get them put in the lake, and we got to go down, and there's these anchors that are anchored down in the lake that we got to go and, like, clip these things to these buoys and stuff. And I'm telling you, my friend, he just dove down. He's down there, like, it's 15 feet of dark, mucky, off of water. He's underwater for like 14 minutes, no big deal. And he comes back up, he's like, got it. I'm like, oh, that is impressive. I almost called somebody, but I'm like, okay, my turn. So I go down, and I get three feet down in the water, and I have a panic attack. And I'm, I get three feet in water, and I'm like, I'm going to die. And so I'm down there, I'm down there, and all of a sudden, I'm down there for like four seconds, and I get up, I'm like, oh, man. I almost died. And he's like, dude, it was like literally four seconds. Like, that was so tough. You are a superhero, (laughs) okay? I am unfit for trying to dive down into water and to do anything. I just freak out. We all all have those things where we feel unfit for. But I want you to understand what what this passage is saying. If we're not condemned, we are not seen as unfit by Jesus. Like, that is such an awesome thought. Even when we are in our sin, we are not unfit to come to Jesus. And then when we come to Jesus, all of that condemnation goes away and we are now seen as completely fit. We are always seen as somebody who who Jesus can take and can do something with. You know, but we look at, uh, actually, if you look at some of the people's lives who have the, the greatest impact on other people, it's actually people with incredibly checkered pasts. You look at Paul. Paul, the guy who wrote this chapter, uh, he was pretty much a murderer. He signed off on the deaths of Christians before he actually became a Christian. There have been times in my life where I was like, man, and I grew up in the church, I was a goody two-shoes all the time. I'm like, man, man, why didn't I do something really awful so that I can have a great testimony? And that's not what it's about, right? Uh, I, God can use any of us w- f- with a great testimony, but man, God really never sees anyone as unfit no matter what your past looks like. That's an awesome thing. What else does being condemned mean? It means to declare one as reprehensible, wrong, or evil. Now, raise your hand if you've ever felt that. That you are reprehensible, wrong, or evil. Now, here's the deal. We all are wrong sometimes. We're not talking about wrong in facts. But God never looks at us and goes, man, you are 
you are wrong. He made us. If, he, if we're wrong, it was his fault. And he, it, nothing is his fault. So we are not reprehensible. We are not wrong. We are not evil. And God never chooses to look at us that way. Can I tell you, though, the, the, amount of, the hundreds of times I have laid awake at night thinking about something stupid that I said that day. And the, the feeling of, man, I'm, I'm reprehensible. I'm wrong. I'm evil. It's just there. And it's hard to break free from that. But get this, if we are not condemned in Christ, we are none of those things. We are not what we feel deep down like we really are. You're not disgusting to God. There's nothing that you can do or say that will put you in the place where that is how God looks at you. I want you to really think about that for a minute. That's actually a life changer for me. Not just in the way that I think about myself. It should change the way I think about myself. That instead of condemning myself all the time, I, I see myself through God's eyes. But it also should change the way that I look at the people around me. Because just as I am not reprehensible and wrong and evil, neither are any of the people that I consider as being evil. When we see the way that God actually sees us and what he says about us, it should change how we think about ourselves. It should change the way we think about other people. It's a really powerful thing when we realize what it means for us that we are not under God's condemnment. With the time that we got left today, I want to just kind of go through about three observations that I think we can pull out of this Romans chapter 8 that tell us a little bit something about this thing called condemnation. The first one is this. The condemnation that you feel isn't coming from God. Bottom line, it's not coming from God. And we need to realize that. We need to tell ourselves that. And, and I think that this is so important. One of the most important things that we can understand as followers of Jesus. He is not looking at what you did today. He's not looking at, like if you're a parent and you got up and you were yelling at your kids. And then they looked at you and they're like, Mama, we're going to church. You're a hypocrite. If they did that, they give them a time out, first of all. Okay? But God's not looking at what you did this morning. God's not looking at what you did 20 years ago going... For that, you still are under condemnation. Because you see, when we're in Christ, there is no condemnation. You definitely might feel condemned, but I don't think that that condemnation is coming from where you think it's coming from. I think there's two places particularly where our condemnation winds up coming from. And the first one is your condemnation might be coming from other people. It is very true that you might have people around you that they kind of cast this cloud of death over your life and just remind you of all the things that you've always done. Ah, oh, you're never going to make anything yourself. Okay. There might be that. It might be good to, to, if you can't get away from that relationship, at least talk about it with that person. Um, but I will say this. I think more often than not, we aren't actually getting condemnation from people. We are assuming into that person the condemnation that we feel about ourselves. And we think that they're, they're condemning us because of what's going on in us. And so that's, that's really the second, the second area I think that we can get our condemnation from. We get our condemnation from ourselves. Most likely that's where it's coming from. What happens is we use condemnation almost like a psychological tool to keep us from doing the things that we hate doing. Well, I, I'm so bad for doing that. And if I just, I'm so bad, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to do that. And we, we we put this guilt trip on ourselves and I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to. And we try to use it, but it's to no effect. 
the more that we condemn ourselves, it doesn't get us anywhere. What happens is, we actually sometimes use that condemnation that we give to ourselves as a way of suffering. And if I can suffer enough for the stuff that I've done, I can feel okay, like, okay, I've served, I've served my, my penitence. But here's what's happening. We start to then use our own condemnation of ourselves as our saving grace. Rather than using Jesus who died on a cross for us to be our saving grace. And so if I'm just feeling guilty and bad about myself all the time, I'm not trusting Jesus. I'm not saying that we don't go and apologize to people and that we don't make amends for things and repent of things. But we're not called to live in guilt. And if I'm living in guilt, I have to ask myself, who am I trusting to save me? My guilt or Jesus? We all know deep down that we, we deserve consequences, but sometimes we put those consequences on ourselves. Here's a scenario for you. You go to a friend's house, and there's a bunch of people, a bunch of your friends all there, and you say something to one of your friends that you know it's kind of on the borderline of appropriate. I do that a little bit. Um, so it's on the borderline of appropriate, and, and you say it, and, and something you just kind of feel, ugh. Maybe that shouldn't have been said. And you, you're driving home, and maybe you're driving with your spouse, and your spouse is pretty quiet. And in the back of your mind, you're like, what, what's wrong? But you know, like, okay, they're probably upset at me for, for the thing I said. But I don't want to bring it up, because that would admit that what I did was not right, that I am imperfect. And so now what's happening is, I'm mad at the person who I think is condemning me, but what's actually happening is I can't go and, and talk about it and admit this thing because what's actually happening, I'm condemning myself more than anything else. Now I just gave you a therapy session of my own, if you've ever realized. Okay, this is something I've dealt with before in my past, if you can't understand. But all of us have those situations where we have dealt with that self-condemnation. And it doesn't take us anywhere good. The condemnation that you feel is not from God. At some point we need to accept this. Accept the fact that God doesn't want us to feel that way. When that happens, um, you need to, to speak truth into your heart about what God actually thinks of you. That he actually is not sitting in condemnation over you. Speak those truths in your heart. Um, second thing I want to talk about, observation about condemnation from this passage. Being free from condemnation... I don't have to start over every time I mess up. One of the guys in our, in our teaching team, he actually, this is the sentence that he said, pretty much word for word. And it, somebody I heard went, hmm, I thought the same thing when he said this. Like, this is so good. Because I don't have condemnation, I don't have to start over. See, there's a lot of things that, the things that we love to do, we want to be perfect at them. Um, you know, for me, it's stuff in sports. Some of you, you might want to cook the, the perfect chocolate chip cookie or something like that. Like, we all have those things. And so for me, uh, before I'd leave a gym, oftentimes when I was young, I'd want to make like 10 free throws in a row or 20 free throws in a row. And what would happen was I'd be shooting the free throws and I'd make seven, make eight. And all of a sudden, I'd start to get a little nervous. There was nobody in the room. It wasn't like it was a game and everybody was watching me, but I'd start to get nervous. Like, oh, i got to make the 10th one. And it'd get to the 10th free throw. And I'd try so hard to put it in the hoop and aim it right into that basket that it was like major choke job. And you'd hit the front of the iron and miss it. And so then what happens? You've got to start all over again in order to get perfect 10 for 10. And some of you, you don't, know, you don't do sports, but you're thinking the same thing when you bake chocolate chip cookies and it doesn't work out perfect. You don't just like put a little more sugar in the rest of the dough and all of a sudden you've got, like you have to start all over. 
Some of you want to take the per perfect nap. I think that's a great endeavor, all right? But you take the nap and your kids wake you up. And now you're like, well, kid, you woke me up. Now I've got to fall back asleep perfectly again. Like, we just, we want to do things perfectly. What, what, what the life with Jesus is not, living for Jesus is not a race for perfection. It's not what it's meant to be. Uh, in Philippians 3, Paul talks about this. He says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've, I've already reached perfection. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. So I love this. Paul does not worry about a miss here and a miss there. He's going to mess up sometimes. But I'm, gonna, I'm not going to look backwards. I'm going to keep my eyes forward. And I'm going to continue to strive for what God wants for me. Problem is, is when we, when we try to start over, here's the real issue with starting over. I make a mistake. Oh, God, i got to start all over. Now what's happening is I'm trusting myself that I'm going to make myself be right the next time. Never works. Just doesn't. And so instead of starting over, we take that spot. Okay, God, I messed up. God, teach me what you want to teach me in this place where I messed up. And help me to go from there. But if I feel like I always have to go back. And, you know, on New Year's Day was yesterday. Most of you know that. And there's a lot of people that like to start over. See, I'm a runner. I run all the time. And I went out for a run yesterday. I saw a lot of people out there running who they'd never run before. And you could tell. And I kind of giggle at them sometimes. When we try so hard to start over. And to, to be perfect on our own right. It's just like every other New Year's resolution. About four days later, it's done. God's not asking us to be perfect. Don't feel like you messed up your whole life just because you messed up. God's not asking you to be perfect. Any condemnation that we feel, it is not coming from God. I'm not perfect. But here's the awesome thing. I'm not perfect, but I also know I'm not condemned. How can that be? This is what I want you to get in your, deep within your soul today. Our lives weren't condemnation, but Jesus took the condemnation upon himself. What you and I have done, how we've lived, it warrants condemnation. But the scripture says, for all those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. Guys, there's two choices that we have. We can choose to try to be what we're supposed to be and not include Jesus. And guess what? Your life is going to be condemned. People don't like, it, like the Christian church saying that there's only one way to heaven, but there is only one way to heaven. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus said. So, I can either be without Jesus and actually be condemned, but even in that place, I want to remind you, you're not unfit for what Jesus wants you to be. Or I can choose that I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to trust Jesus. I'm going to place myself in Jesus. And now... There is absolutely no condemnation whatsoever. Such an awesome thing. Uh, worshiping, you guys can come up. We're going to get started, uh, go through uh, communion in just a minute here. But I want to talk about that last night that Jesus was alive before he was arrested. Actually, the night that he was arrested. Because that's a night that Jesus took our condemnation on himself. 
And what happened is he went to the, the, the Garden of Gethsemane. And he goes there with his 11 disciples. One of them, Judas, had betrayed him and he was gone. But he goes to the garden with 11 disciples. And what happens is he leaves eight of those disciples in one spot in the garden. And he takes three others with him. I'm going to read what happens here. Jesus went with them in Matthew 26. Went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. And he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John. And he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further and he bowed down, bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. I want you to understand what happened there. In that moment when Jesus left those eight disciples and walked off to go pray with these other three disciples, Jesus in that moment was blown away by the condemnation that was was taking over him. That was our condemnation. The Father was starting to put all the weight of the world onto Jesus. And that weight was your sin and it was my sin. And in that moment, this, this man who was God become man, who lived his life completely perfectly, who raised people from the dead, it's like he couldn't even withstand it. The Bible says that he started to sweat droplets of blood. That was, that was the tension and the anxiety that was going on within his body. Jesus took on the condemnation that was for you and that was for me. We didn't deserve it. There was no other plan in place. And so Jesus, he said, okay, Father, this is not what I want, but if it's what has to happen, let it happen. And so he went through with it. And he died on the cross for us. When we realize Christ's love for us, you can both let go of condemnation of yourself, but you can also let go of condemnation of other people. And you can believe that you are actually worthy of being loved, despite everything in your past. There's something really cool in this country, I don't know how many other countries have it, but it's a thing called double jeopardy. And it's a law that says that you can't be tried twice for the same thing. You know, if you're, if you're innocent, you can't be, go back on trial and be called guilty. And there is a spiritual law of double jeopardy. That Jesus went and he took on the condemnation, the judgment that you and I deserved. And when we place ourselves in Christ, there is now no condemnation. There's no double jeopardy. There's no like, oh, you... Yeah, you had Jesus, but you were so bad now that, no, sorry. It's not like that. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.